Uh, my name is David Schull. Um, I've been attending this church for over a decade. Um, occasionally they ask me to speak. We'll see how well that turns out to be. Um, so as we, uh, as we prepare to examine um, God's word, let's just open in prayer. Heavenly Father, uh, I just thank you for uh, this church and its dedication to your word, its desire to uphold um, your word is supreme, and uh, Lord, as we study our doc, uh, statement of faith, um, I just ask that you would give us clarity to see your word, um, help us to understand these things and to embrace them as part of our life in you, um, and that these, these truths of you and your word uh, would just give us a greater desire to love and serve you, Lord. I pray uh, that you would just work through me and my humble preparation. Um, I just ask that your Holy Spirit would uh, work through uh, and perform a small miracle tonight, and just that your word would um, hold true. We pray this in your name. Amen. Um, so if you've uh, been joining us at all on Wednesday nights, you know that we've been going through our statement of faith as a church, um, as part of Sovereign Grace Churches. Um, tonight we are looking at justification and adoption. So I'm going to open just with reading what the statement of faith says in relation to that. I think there's copies uh, over there on the stool if you don't have one. So uh, justification and adoption. In their union with Christ, believers freely receive all the benefits of the gospel. Those whom God effectually calls to himself, he justifies in Christ, forgiving all of their sins and declaring them righteous and acceptable in his sight. This declaration is judicial, addressing not our nature, but our status with regard to God's law. It is definitive, being neither gradually gained nor able to be lost. And it is gracious, a free gift of God's righteousness based on nothing worked in us or by us, but received freely by faith. The sole ground of our justification is the righteousness of Christ whose life of perfect obedience is imputed to us and whose substitutionary death on our behalf completely satisfies the demands of God's justice toward our sins. Those whom God justifies, he adopts into his family, granting them the full status, rights, and privileges of beloved sons. As God's children, we receive his name, enjoy access into his presence, experience his care and discipline, and eagerly await the glorious inheritance he promises his own. Amen. Um, so, in going through this statement of faith, um, I thought it would be appropriate to kind of try to work out of a part of Scripture. So, if you would, turn with me to Romans 3. We'll be spending most of our time in Romans 3, 21 through 26 tonight. Now, as we look at justification, um, the first question that comes to mind is not only what is justification, but why, why is it necessary? Why does God need to bestow justi justification on our part? Um, so, in Romans, this is something that Paul is very ambitious about covering. Uh, he is very concerned with the law the upholding of God's righteousness, um, and explaining to us our condition as man. So two reasons that stand out to us for our need for justification is, one, 
that we are sinners. Um, Romans spends a good deal of time on that. From Romans 1, 18 through 3.20, Paul lays out how we have all fallen short of the glory of God, that none is righteous, no, not one. Um, that simply nature de declaring the glory of God is enough to condemn us under God's standard. That creates for us a huge problem. Um, and as we'll see in this text, it can also look like it creates a problem for God, which are both resolved through justification. Uh, so in verse 21, we'll pick up with reading, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God puts forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he may be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. So as we look at this passage, one thing that stands out a lot is Paul's statement of the righteousness of God. That's highlighted four to five different times in this. Um, Paul's emphasis is that there is a standard of God's righteousness of which we fall vastly short. We see that in 22, the righteousness of God through faith, uh, excuse me, in 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. This glory of God is also the righteousness of God, the standard of God. And because of that, there is separation, there is judgment. And that's what 8 Romans 1 through 3 deals with up to this point, God's judgment, God's wrath on sin. Um, but Paul highlights a problem that this kind of brings up because he says that this saving work of God, Christ on the cross was all done in, verses, uh, in verse 25. This was to show God's righteousness. So God's sending Jesus on our behalf to become our justifier was not done just to justify us, but to actually show Christ's, or God's righteousness. Why was that a problem before? It says it in, in verse 26. It was to show his righteous, um, in 25, excuse me, because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. So in God passing over former sins, this kind of creates a problem. How can God be just if he is passing over sin? So what that looks like is uh, in 2 Samuel, we have David and Bathsheba. And Nathan comes to David and says, you have sinned against God. And David says, I have sinned against the Lord, and he repents. And Nathan immediately declares, the Lord has put away your sin, you shall not die. So as we look at God's righteousness, which is his, he is perfect, he is holy, he is completely just, and yet he's just passing over this sin. And that's what he did through the whole Old Testament and up until Christ death on the cross. How can God pass over this sin and still be just? Um, how can he be righteous if he doesn't address sin? That's why Jesus' death on the cross is so necessary. Because in passing over these, it was really just him pushing off 
that judgment, that wrath, um, until Christ's death on the cross. All right, so as we, that's answering one problem, that justification deals with God's righteousness by upholding his standard of um, righteousness. Uh, so what is justification? Justification is Jesus, um, <laughs> lost my place here. Justification is Jesus declaring us to be just in God's eyes. It does not change our nature. It just is a change of how God views us. And this is done only through the saving work of Jesus. Jesus' death on the cross sustains, um, upholds God's righteousness and imputes to us his righteousness. Um, Romans 3.26 says it was to show his righteousness. Oh, I already read that. <laughs> um, Romans 5.19. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one's man obedience the many will be made righteous. So Jesus' righteousness is imparted to us. Um, and this is very different from the Old Testament. So we can look at the Old Testament and say, well, why... Why was the sacrifices of the Old Testament not sufficient? Why couldn't that system just continue? Um, and we see the answer to that in Hebrews. So in Hebrews 9, or excuse me, Hebrews 10, Hebrews 10, 3, it says, But in these sacrifices there is a remainder, reminder of sins every year. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. So what that means is... In the Old Testament, God had laid out that there was this system of sacrificing animals to cover over our sin. This is something that God has instituted from the very beginning. In the garden, as soon as Adam and Eve sin, there is obvious separation between them and God. Now, there is a small, immediate, not small, it's huge, that they're cast out of God's presence. They're cast out of the garden. That relationship is severed. And yet, in that God kills a lamb to cover their nakedness, to kind of cover their sin. We see this again in Exodus as God prepares to uh, call out justice on the Egyptians. The Israelites are told that if they do not cover their door with a lamb of the blood, that there will be punishment from God. So in all of these little examples, even prior to the covenant, we see that there is this idea of substitutionary atonement, that God desires for his people to be pardoned and yet his justice to be upheld. So God's desire is, one, to show his righteousness, but he also has this love for us, 
that desires the, for us to be with him. And in all of that, there has to be a payment. There has to be fulfillment of God's wrath, satisfaction of God's wrath. So in the Old Testament, we see small pictures of that. The sacrifice of the lamb in the garden to cover the nakedness. We see um, Abraham kills the goat stuck in the brambles instead of Isaac. Then we have the laying out of this sacrificial system in the Old Testament. Now, none of these are actually able to save anyone. And that's what we just read. That God has no desire, takes no delight in the sacrifice or the blood of bulls and lambs. So that kind of leaves us in a pickle still. You know, that we're, we're stuck in this place where even if we, at our best effort under the law, there's nothing we can do to save ourselves. We can't earn it. And that's what Romans 1 through 3 lays out. That through the law, there is no saving faith. Not faith, saving works. There's nothing that can save us in and of itself. And two, through the law, even the sacrificial system, that doesn't hold any weight. Not until Christ comes are those sacrifices held to any kind of standard. Those sacrifices were done with the effect, the, the looking forward of Christ's death on the cross, the perfect sacrifice. So in and of themselves, bulls and lambs, even though they were being slaughtered by the tens of thousands, had no ability to cover anyone's sin truly. God takes no delight in that. But Jesus' death on the cross satisfies his wrath perfectly. Um, Hebrews 2, 14 through 17. Points out to us that, um, says this about Jesus. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, so the children being us, God's children, he himself, Jesus, likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who fear of death, who were subject to lifelong slavery. Slavery. For it is surely not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore, Jesus had to be made like his brothers, you and me, in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. So, Jesus' death is satisfying on our behalf because he came and lived a life as a man. Now, if that's one of the reasons those lambs and bulls had no weight to actually cover our sins. One, they're, they're not human. They don't struggle with sinful desires the way we do. Um, and that is why God, Jesus, had to become a man. Um, it would have been nothing for God to lay down his life. I mean, it would have been a huge thing. But the fact that Jesus lived a perfect life while fully a man and also fully God allowed him to have the power to save us from our sins, that his perfect life sacrifice on our behalf satisfies God's wrath. So <clears throat> as we look at, um, so that is, that is kind of the concept here, that we are justified through the redemption, the saving work, that Jesus saves us from the slavery of our sins, through his death on the cross. He is a propitiation, and that word propitiation means um, a satisfaction of God's wrath. 
He fulfills God's wrath. He carries it out. He satisfies um, the judgment that we all rightfully deserve. So he's a substitutionary atonement for us. All right, so um, this idea of justification really only addresses our rightful standing before God. Because we are justified, we are no longer condemned to hell. So that's one side of it. The other side of it is that we are now covered with Christ's righteousness, okay? So not only do we go from being in debt to God, and, and I hate that example because God doesn't even cancel out our debt. Christ, Christ pays it, you know? So when we talk about things like that, we talk about forgiveness, God's forgiveness. It's not like our forgiveness where we just have to say, ah, no big deal, I'll get over it. God can't do that because it's against him, it's against his nature, it offends him, and it would make his righteousness seem cheap on little value. That's why it says all of this was done to show God's righteousness at the present time. Darn it, I lost my train of thought there. Um, Oh, so not only does it satisfy God's wrath on our behalf, we are now clothed with Christ's righteousness. So that means God doesn't just go from not wanting to pour out his justice and his wrath on us. He sees us as Christ. Now, that doesn't actually change our nature. That's what our statement of faith says, that even though God forgives our sins, and, and again, this forgiveness is not the same as you and me just kind of shrugging something off it is something that has to be paid for christ is god is able to to forgive us because christ has paid our punishment but we are declared righteous and acceptable in god's sight um and as our statement of faith says this declaration is judicial addressing not our nature but our status um the key difference here is we still have a sin nature we still struggle to follow god's law if we were given God's nature right now, that would, we wouldn't have any problem. It would be easy. And a lot of times we all wish that, that, well, it would be really nice if we just had Christ's spirit in me. And we, we do to a sense, but we still have that inner conflict, that struggle to follow Christ. And that's, that's what we'll be talking about next week, which is sanctification. How do we, now that we are justified, we are clothed with Christ's righteousness outwardly, how do we follow and pursue God, and live a life that is honoring to him. So it doesn't change our nature, it just changes our status. Um, but it is a covering over. We are covered with Christ's righteousness. Um, Romans 8, 1 through 2 says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Uh, in Romans, uh, Acts thirteen thirty nine says, And by him, Jesus, everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. Again, pointing out that this is just a correction of our standing before God. The law of Moses had no ability to save us, but because of Christ's atoning work on the cross, his, his blood covering our sins, we are, we are declared righteous before God, even though on our own we have no ability to declare that. Um, 
God's uh, justification of us is full. It is complete. In, in this passage, it says, um, for there is no distinction, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So everyone has, has fallen short of the glory of God and are justified. Um, and then later it says uh, in verse 28, for we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. So when it says, makes these statements that, one, uh, that we are justified or that one is justified, there is no limitations placed on this. This is not something that is happening gradually over time. It is not something that can be lost. It is full and complete. Um, this stands kind of in contrast to what Roman Catholics would believe. There is this idea that we have to continually confess our sins and, and oddly to a priest, but we're not going to get into that um, too much. But there's this idea that we have to continually confess our sins to continue to have this rightful standing before God or we might lose it. Um, and that there are sins that are therefore unforgivable. Um, but we, we hold, uh, Romans 3.28, Paul says, for we hold that one is justified without limitations. We are fully, fully justified now. Um, now, Obviously, we still have sin, like I talked about, and this justification really addresses our standing on the final day, uh, that when, when Jesus opens the book of life, our name is written in it. We cannot be taken out of it if, if these things are true of us, if we have truly believed. Um, as our statement says, it is a gracious, free gift of God's righteousness based on nothing worked in us. Uh, this is really beautifully stated in Romans 5, 6 through 8. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. That's all of us. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since, therefore, we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. So like this passage lays out, this has nothing to do with what we have done. This is all God's work. When we were yet sinners, when we were enemies of Christ, at the right time, he died for us. It's not because there was anything in us worth saving. It's simply because he poured out graciously his love on us for no reason. Um, it was unmerited favor. And it is received freely through faith. This is not something that we have to work to earn. Um, Romans 5, 15 through 7 says, But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abandoned for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin, for the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. Ephesians 2, 8, 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God not a result of works, so that no one may boast. This is what is just really beautiful about justification. 
It is the perfect fulfillment of God's wrath against sin. It is the perfect upholding of God's righteousness um, to mankind, the angels, everyone. It declares all of God's attributes fully. That God has love for us that is unfathomable. He pours, out it, he pours it out graciously upon us. And yet he's not just ignoring our sins or passing over our sins. Our sins are paid for through faith. If we have faith in what Christ has done on the cross, these things are ours. If we have not believed in those in faith, if we are trying to earn them, those are not ours. These are not anything that we can earn or um, claim except through the saving work of Christ. <coughs> the sole ground of our justification, this is back to our statement of faith, is the righteousness of Christ, whose life of perfect obedience is imputed to us and whose substitutionary death on our behalf completely satisfies the demands of God's justice towards our sins. All of this is contingent on Jesus' perfect life, perfect obedience. Um, if Jesus slips up, if he sins, he's not God. He has no ability to save us. That's why there's so much emphasis on this in Scripture of God, of Jesus fulfilling all that God had for him, that he, in obedience, went to the cross, even though it was hard. You know, I've never bled or sweated blood, or uh, but Jesus has. That shows the immense scrutiny of following God and yet recognizing this pain and separation that was going to come by bearing our judgment. Um, not only does Jesus kind of cover over our sin, but he actually bears our punishment. Uh, this is shown quite well in Galatians 3.13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. 1 Peter 2.24 also says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. So as we consider our justification, um, some arguments that Paul goes and continues to argue in Romans is, well, if, if grace is going to abound through my sinfulness, why not, why not sin all the more? And he talks about, you know, this idea of, of, of crucifying Christ again and again. Like, our, our grace, our, our justification was not bought cheaply. It was bought at a great price. So when we recognize that, it should lead us to humbly cry out that we need help in following Christ. And that's, again, more going to be discussed next week. But our attitude is not to cheapest, treat this cheaply uh, because it was bought at a great price. All right, moving on to adoption. And again, this, this kind of goes back to, um, it says in the beginning of our statement here, in the union with Christ, believers freely receive all the benefits of the gospel. Uh, and that's, that's something we can look at in Ephesians 1 through 3. Um, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And he goes on to explain that these are redemption, or the righteousness of Christ and forgiveness of sins, adoption, and the Holy Spirit as a summary overview of what, what we have, uh, what are the benefits of the gospel to us. Um, so as we look at adoption, 
Those whom God justifies, he adopts into his family, granting them the full status, rights, and privileges of beloved sons. Um, this is something that should blow all of our minds. Like, it's one thing just to say, okay, well, so God loves me. He's forgiven me. He's sent Jesus to die and pay my punishment. Like, that should be enough. And yet, he loves us so much, he now counts us as full sons and heirs in him. Um, and when it talks about sons, it's just the idea of being um, heirs, not that it is literally men and not women. This is fully inclusive of all men and women, but in biblical day, the sons were considered to be the rightful heirs. Um, and that is the idea that all of us, men and women, are all rightful heirs with Christ. Um, so let's not get caught up on pronouns. Um, Romans eight fifteen through 17. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. So, we are given full status, full rights with God. We have the, the privileges of being a son of God. Um, as God's children, we are given his name. Um, Acts 11.26 talks about uh, the disciples being first called Christians in Antioch. Uh, and in the Old Testament, he talks about Israel, uh, which is, you know, forecasting of us, uh, that so, sh so shall they put my name upon the people of Israel, and I will bless them. So we are given um, this rightful status. Uh, and then this is the one thing that we don't like to get too excited about with adoption is experiencing God's care and discipline. Like adoption sounds great when we think about the privileges that come with it. And then we think about, well, there's the care <laughs> and discipline. So um, as a loving father, and sometimes out of anger, but usually out of love, I discipline my children. Now, this does not always mean corrective discipline. Discipline can also just mean instruction, but um, there is also that corrective discipline, and God does that for those who he loves. Uh, and this is, this is shown really well in Hebrews 12, 5 through 11. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. So we are only disciplined if we are adopted as sons. If there is no discipline in your life, it may cause you to kind of wonder. Um, it is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. The later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. So even as we experience God's discipline in our lives, it is for our benefit. It is out of, born out of love for us. 
uh, and it is with the desire that it would bear fruit and righteousness, that we would be more and more like him. Now, as we uh, are sons, there is this idea of already and not yet. Um, we are legally adopted. We experience God's discipline, and yet there are certain things about this adoption process that is not full and complete. Same thing with this justification. Justification is this already and not yet kind of idea that we are fully justified, and yet it hasn't actually happened because it's not the final day. Um, but we are fully justified now. Just like that, with, with adoption, we have an inheritance that we look forward to. Romans 8, 23 through 26. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons. So we wait for adoption as sons. We already have it, but there is this idea of there's more to come. The redemption of our bodies, that's, that's the more to come. For in this hope we were saved. The hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. And then First Peter also goes into uh, this idea that according to his great mercy, he has called us, caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. So as we struggle through this life, we do have this great inheritance to look forward to um, that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, that is gonna far surpass anything we could imagine All right, that's honestly all I've got. So um, I'll just close this in prayer and, um, and then, yeah. Heavenly Father, uh, these truths are profound and I feel uh, humbly that I've not quite done them full justice, Lord. Um, as we consider the great work you have done for us on the cross, uh, I just ask that it would cause us uh, to be humble, Lord that we would recognize um, there is nothing in us that would cause you to desire to save us, and yet you have. You have called us um, to yourself through your Son. Lord, if there are any here tonight who have not received this in faith, I ask that you would call them now, that they would recognize their need for a Savior, uh, that this justification and adoption would be something that would be theirs tonight, Lord. Uh, for those of us who have it, help us to treasure this, Lord. Help us to remember what we have been saved from and the great cost by which it was born. We pray this in Jesus' name.